And that makes people uncomfortable because they're like, no, 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 no. If you want to learn about bipolar disorder, you've got to find a, a psychiatrist from Harvard who has a PhD and 20 years worth of research. And that's what you should rely on. And I want to say two things. One, you should absolutely rely on that person. That person has done excellent work and I fully support their work. But you should also listen to what I have to say. And I think that if you, if you read us both, I think that you will have a better understanding of how to move forward, how to advocate for yourself, and how to understand what's going on. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Gabe Howard. Gabe Howard is an award-winning writer and speaker who lives with bipolar disorder. He is the author of the popular book, Mental Illnesses and Asshole, and other observations available on Amazon. Signed copies are also available directly from Gabe Howard. In addition to hosting the Not Crazy podcast, he also hosts the Psych Central podcast. Gabe made his home in central Iowa with his wife, Kendall, and a mini schnauzer he never wanted, but now can't live without. To learn more, please visit his website, GabeHoward.com. Welcome, Gabe. Well, thank you so much. I am very excited to be here. <laughs> I had to laugh really hard when I was reading your bio where you talk about the mini schnauzer that you never wanted but can't live without because my husband had the same experience. <laughs> and so we have actually three mini schnauzers. <laughs> but I am still positive I don't want three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did either. In fact, uh, he sent me to pick up one for like an anniversary gift. And there was just another one there that was just so adorable. I can leave him. So I'm just like, well, it's your Aww. fault to send me, you know, to look at puppies. And that, so that's a fair <laughs> point. I would never send my wife after one puppy because <laughs> come back with all the puppies. <laughs> the crazy thing is the one that I brought back is the one like as soon as he comes home, that dog is following him all over the place. And so it's funny how that ends up happening with our dogs. But isn't that the way? Isn't that the way? You know, my my it, it's I live with bipolar disorder and, and it's, it's, these things are tough. You, you know, animals are tough. Things that break up your routine are tough. And I was, my wife wanted a dog from the second we got married and I was just positive that it was going to just really mess with my mental health and, and cause me problems with, you know, managing bipolar disorder. And this is an excellent example of where, you know, as much as we want the world to change for us, we do have to change for the world. And, and in this case, it worked out so well because I, I love that dog. I just love awesome. that dog. Yeah. Well, with your bio, we've already got to know you a, a tiny bit. But before we, you know, move into all of the stuff that's in your bio and your mental health and all that stuff, just briefly tell our audience maybe a little bit more about yourself. My name is Gabe Howard. I live with bipolar disorder and <laughs> I live in central Ohio with my wife and a mini schnauzer I never wanted, but now can't live without. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, all, all, all joking aside, I mean, I, you know, I am a mental health advocate. I, I wrote a book called Mental Illnesses as an Asshole. I'm, I'm the host of a couple of podcasts. One is the Psych Central podcast, which is an educational show. One is the, the Not Crazy podcast, uh, which is a more lived experience show. I, I've been doing this work for almost a decade because, frankly, I just had such a horrible, horrible time from the time I was diagnosed and getting help and finding resources. And I thought, man, we have to do better. Somebody should do something about this. <laughs> and uh, much as the old adage goes, I'm somebody. And here we are. And it landed on you. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. Well, let's give our audience a little bit more background into how you began this work with mental health. I do have to let them know, like, I listened to a podcast of yours, you know, a while back on another mental health show, and I have listened to it multiple times because 
I feel like what you say to the world is so refreshing. I really felt like your work was so disruptive. I love the not not crazy podcast, you know, the mental illness is an asshole. I mean, I've experienced all of that, but I'd like to know, like, give us that background of how you became the mental health um, expert in a way. Well, I first I should I should say I, I'm I'm not an expert, and <laughs> that that's and, and in a way this is you know you talk about like being a disruptor, and and I think that that admitting that I'm not an expert is probably the most disruptive thing that I do <laughs> because everybody likes to show up and 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 claim authority, right? I'm I'm the expert, and there's there's a very finite space where that is appropriate, you know if. If I have cancer, I want my oncologist to be an expert at treating cancer. And that's, that's like that little tiny window. But, but that individual has literally decades, or I don't know how old they are, but, but I'm going to, you know, this person went to school for eight years and, and lives, eats, breathes, and sleeps the study of treating cancer. And what I see like on social media is somebody's like, hey, I watched a YouTube video. I'm an expert. Yeah. And I just pound my head against the wall. And I, I think the reason why is because it, they're correcting other people's experiences. And uh, I hate that so much. One of the questions I get asked all the time is like, what does it feel like to live with bipolar disorder? And there, there are some things that we all have in common, you know, ex extreme lows, you know, depression, extreme highs, mania, there's some symptomology, but, but ultimately the way that I feel living with bipolar disorder and the way that somebody else with the same diagnosis feels is, is going to be very different. And mm -hmm. I think there needs to be room in the expert, and I'm making air quotes, in the expert conversation about this. And there's not. And it that's exactly right. Bothers me so much. Yeah. I was always told like I think with mental health, they think like there's a pattern to this, but I think everybody has a different story. And a lot of it comes from our background and what we were told as children and you know what mental health, the stigmas that we had about mental health, um, you know, that we grew up with that you know, I, I always thought a person with mental health was somebody who was a bit crazy. And so it, it was one of the reasons why I never sought help for so long, because I didn't want to be outed with a bunch of the crazies. Although if you've listened to my podcast for any amount of time, you know that I am a little, a little bit crazy. But, <laughs> um, but I, I would love to know, like, yeah, that background of what you, you know, through that discovery, those challenges that you had for better mental health and, and what helped you learn from that experience. One of the things that I learned along the way is that people aren't talking about it. I love to relay this story. My my father is a, a man's man, you know, think think just a stereotypical, he drove an 18-wheeler until he retired. You know, he listened to country music, he even walked with the stereotypical swag. And I say walk, my, my father is still very much alive. <laughs> he always listens to these things. He's like, is there something I don't know, Gabe? I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You're just old now, dad. I'm I'm sorry. But but, but I mean, I just, I, I can't, he, he really is kind of the stereotype. And when, you know, he, he raised me to, you know, men get jobs. You have to be the man of the house. There was, there was a lot of toxic masculinity going on in my mm -hmm. upbringing. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I get diagnosed with, with bipolar disorder and, and I'm starting to see a, a therapist and I, I'm just, there's just a lot going through my head. And one of the things that's going through my head is my, my dad's going to find out that I'm, I'm seeing a therapist mm -hmm. and he's going to think I'm weak. And this, this upset me a lot. Yeah. Obviously the day came, I had to tell my father, we're standing outside. It's somewhat dark. I, I, I see an opportunity and I, I say to my dad, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist. And my dad says, I see a therapist too. <laughs> and I go, wait, what? And he goes, yeah, ever since your mom and I went to marriage counseling. I like, like that was just like two massive hits. You know, my yeah. one, my father went to marriage counseling Two, my father sees a therapist. And I was like, why, why, why didn't you tell me this? And you know, his response is, eh, that's not the kind of thing that you burden children with. Uh, and I'm sure there was some amount of, of shame in, in his mind. I don't want to speak for my father, but do you know how helpful it would have been if I would have mm -hmm. just known this the whole time? All of that shame that I felt, 
I wouldn't have felt because after all, if my dad can see a therapist, then it is manly to see a therapist by gum. <laughs> and it, it helped a lot when I learned it. And it, it also made me really sad that there's a whole generation of people that apparently acknowledge the benefits of therapy because my father acknowledges the benefits hands down, but that's still something you keep to yourself. It's private. Yeah. And I, I wanted to change that. These are just little lessons I learned along the way that I thought, man, we've got to be able to do better. My life would be better if these things were changed. So let's, let's set out trying to change them. Yeah. Your story almost mimics mine to a T. I remember, you know, coming and telling my parents the, the hell that I had been through. And sorry, I don't know why I get all cray. That's me, though, of course. But, you know, that hell that I'd been to, and then they come forward with, like, all the stuff that, you know, genetically has been issues for them in the past as well. And I'm like, wow, I wish somebody would have said something because I would have sought help sooner. What was the thing that led you to finally to go in and like face the challenges that you're bipolar? Because I'm sure it's like me, like you just don't know what's wrong with you, you know, type of thing. You know, something's quite not right or something, but. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought about suicide as, as far back as I can remember. And, and people always challenge me on this one. They're like, you know, so when you were five years old, you thought about suicide. Yeah. Well, when you were 12, you know, just like, yes, I, I thought about suicide always. And then they, they always think they're going to, they're going to trick me. And they say, well, when you were having a good day, you thought about suicide. Yeah. That was the day that I thought, hey, I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. And this was just, this was so, it, it was, it was just, it permeated everything. And I thought it was normal because mm -hmm. once again, yeah. there's, there's no mental health teaching. There's no training. There's no discussions. We're not talking about this. I, I believed that everybody was weighing the pros and cons every single day of whether or not they wanted to continue living. And I had no reason to believe that I was wrong. And my family didn't notice and my friends didn't notice and teachers didn't notice. And I, I just, I got sicker and sicker and sicker. And, and finally, when I was 25 years old, a woman I was casually dating at the time, she, she noticed. Uh, she, she thought that something was wrong. She, she thought that I was suicidal. She, she, thought that, she thought that I needed help. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, are you planning on killing yourself? And uh, I said, yes. I didn't, I didn't have any reason to lie. I, again, I, I thought this was a reasonable question. In fact, I, I got a little excited. I, I thought I, I'm going to have help. Like, like this is something, you know, I was worried about some things like, you know, who's going to give my, my parents all of my documentation, you know, my will and, and my life insurance documents, you know, after I'm gone, I was just going to sit it on the kitchen table and hope that they found it. But this is so much better. You, you can help with that. Uh, she, she reacted strongly. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah. She, uh, yeah. She, 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 she started yelling a bit. Uh, she's like, Oh my God, we, we just, you know, she, she said, we have to go to the emergency room. I said, emergency room, you don't, the, the emergency room is for sick people. Like not only sick people, like people having a heart attack, people fall off the roof. I'm, I'm not sick. I'm just making a very reasonable decision to take my own life. And it, we, when and like you said, when you're thinking about it all the time, it doesn't seem like my thought was like, well, doesn't everybody think about that? It, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I was approached with. Anyway. I, yeah, I, it just, it, it never, you read all these like child rearing books or the, the psychology of child rearing. And, and, you know, one of the things that they say is that children believe that whatever happens in their house is happening in all the houses. Mm -hmm. So if you ask a three-year-old, how do you go to bed? They will say, well, my mom reads me two stories. I brush my teeth and then she sings me a song. And if you say, okay, how does your friend go to bed? Well, their mom reads them two stories and then they brush their teeth and sings them a song. And they believe this so much so that when they, they start to get confused, they're like, well, wait a minute, you know, Timmy has no mom. So what, how does he go to bed? Like it starts to, it starts to mess with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I was never challenged. I believe that what was going on in my head was going on in all the heads. The difference is, is I never, I, I never realized that Timmy didn't have a mommy, I guess. I, I just, I, I don't, I just, it never occurred to me. 
it, it never would have. And I didn't want to go to the emergency room. And in fact, the only reason I went to the emergency room is because she tricked me. She bet me that I needed to go to the emergency room. She said, we'd go to the emergency room. We'll ask the doctor if this is where you need to be. And if the doctor says, no, this is not where you need to be. I'll take you to dinner anywhere in the city. And I thought, well, hey, I could use a free meal. Like, like what's, what's wrong with free food? And, uh, you know, in the car we went and, and you know, I, I was positive. I was positive I was going to win. I was positive I was right. I, I wasn't 99.9% sure. I, I, I wasn't, there, there, was, there was zero doubt. I was as positive I was right as you are positive that you are alive right at this very moment. Yeah. Once I found out that, <laughs> no, this is where I needed to be and, and I was admitted to the psychiatric hospital. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I mean, it just, I just crumbled. Everything that I thought I knew, I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Once again, just a perfect mirror. If it wasn't for my, my husband, I, you know, there's no way I would have ever sought help for sure. Because it's like, this isn't normal. And I was like, I'm sure they will say that maybe it's not normal for you, but, but it's pretty normal in the world, I would think. Right. Anyway, yeah. So, and then what happened, you know, as we move on through challenges, you know, and your, you said your, your world just crumbled, you know, how did you kind of rise from the ashes like a beautiful phoenix? <laughs> yeah, I, I spent three days in the psychiatric hospital where I was given my first psychiatric medications. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and then I was, I was let home with follow-up care. I, I was assigned to inpatient, or I'm sorry, outpatient hospitalization. It's, it's, it's basically where you you do all of the stuff that you would do if you were inpatient for eight hours, but at that at night you go home uh, and sleep in your own bed. It's like a step down program, and you know I did all of that. And you know I tell people from the day that I walked out of the hospital to the day that I reached recovery took four years. And I, I define recovery as I spend more of my life living my life than I do managing bipolar disorder, uh, because I'm always going to have to spend some amount of time managing bipolar disorder. It doesn't a hundred percent go away. You know, right now I probably spend five to 10% of my time managing the disorder. Mm -hmm. and obviously the day that I went to the hospital, a hundred percent and, and through treatment, therapy, support groups, med management, et cetera, I got to this point and people are surprised to hear that it took four years because they're like, well, didn't you just get some medication, be med compliant, and then you were fine. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way at all. Uh, it, it took a yeah. long time, but I learned a lot along the way. Well, and there's a lot of tweaking that people don't understand either. I mean, uh, at least that's how it was for me. First of all, I was like, I think I'm misdiagnosed. <laughs> and then, you know, you're still fighting that, at least for me, uh, still fighting the whole, you know, once I kind of get a grasp of this or whatever, I can like go back to never needing medication or never, you know, I think it's an up and down battle. Like there would be some days, maybe it's only 5% of a struggle to not think about it. And then you're back to, you know, 95% of your day is thinking about it again. Did you see that? Like this roller coaster thing? I was pretty lucky. One, I was older. You know, I was I was 25 years old. So, you know, a lot of people get diagnosed between the ages of like 16 to 24 is average, and mm -hmm. uh, so I was I was outside of the average. And uh, I was pretty lucky in that maybe because of my age or maybe because of the support system that I had around me. Once I started reading about bipolar disorder and once I started really learning about bipolar, I was like, oh my god, this is this is wow. Like this is just so dead on. So I, I really embraced and accepted the diagnosis like immediately. That was the first thing. The, the second thing is, is again, I'm, I'm really lucky. I had a really good support system and somebody told me right up front on day, like literally, I think the day I got out of the hospital, listen, People with bipolar disorder, they have this bad habit of going off their medication and they always turn out worse. It's not a good idea. Just you need to work with your doctor. You know, they just really put the fear of God into me <laughs> about what would happen if I tried to manage my medication on my own or do stuff without discussing it with uh, my doctor. And it, that really, really took it. It really it really made an impression on me. Now, I, I'm not saying that that meant that I stayed on every medication that I was given or anything like that. No, I, 
I argued with my doctor left and right. You know, I, I don't like this med. I don't want to take it anymore. I need you to switch it to this one. I don't like this side effect. But that helped, right? Because I knew that I couldn't go off the meds on my own, but I also felt empowered to tell the doctor, look, if you won't take me off this medication, I'm going to find a doctor who will. And that really opened up I really felt like me and my psychiatrist and me and my psychologist and me and my medical team, we really, really work together. And I, I need to point out that that just really shows the amount of privilege that I had because not everybody can just switch psychiatrists when they, when they want. Mm -hmm. uh, not everybody has the opportunity to really get a second opinion. And I did not know that at the time. I, I, I thought that everybody had this partnership with their psychiatric team. And I was really sad to learn that many people don't have a partnership with their psychiatric team. They have a do as I say relationship. And I think that, I think that leads to bad care. Yeah. Uh, it's complicated, right? It's complicated. Yeah, definitely. Well, and we're kind of on this paradigm change thing that, you know, I usually like to ask people just because, you know, now you're seeing that not everybody has the same like situation. What do you feel like has been like, you know, from the time you started this journey, I would say, to now, you know, how do you think your thought processes and your paradigm has really changed with that time and experience? I feel sometimes like such a, like such an asshole. Am I allowed to say asshole? <laughs> uh, when I, when I first got started, I, I found a whole bunch of people who were seeing general practitioners, nurse practitioners, uh, you, you know, even going to uh, like the, the, the CVSs or the Walmart to get their psychiatric care. And I came down real hard on them. I said, look, you would never go to a general practitioner to treat cancer. You would go to an oncologist. Why are you going to a general practitioner to treat mental illness and not a psychiatrist? You need to see a specialist. You need to see a professional. And uh, I said that a whole bunch of times until finally somebody challenged me and said, look, we don't have that option. There's not enough psychiatrists to go around. They have a six month waiting list. We don't have the money for it. They, they can only see us for 12 minutes. This is, this is the best we have. We're not disagreeing that it would be nice to see a psychiatrist, but it would also be nice to drive a Mercedes. But <laughs> we can't afford a Mercedes, so we're just going to have to stick it out with our Fords. And it, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow. I would never say to somebody, how dare you drive a Ford Taurus? Why don't you get a Mercedes? They're better. Because I understand <laughs> that not everybody can afford a Mercedes. I can't afford a Mercedes. <laughs> I, and I just felt so badly at how I really felt that a lot of people were hindering their own care because they were choosing to get care that wasn't the best. And uh, that was an eye opener because, uh, wow, I just owe so many people apologies. And uh, it, it's sad. I, I, I still want everybody to get high end care. I still want everybody to see psychiatrists and psychologists and get case management and on and on and on. I was, it was very devastating for me to learn that that's not available for everybody yeah. because I, I feel very strongly that that should be available for everybody. Yeah. I, it depends on basically where you live and how serious I think that, you know, mental health is to the people in that community or I don't know, to the to the doctors, um, different things like that. Even counselors. Um, I was on Facebook and somebody was talking about, you know, a, a situation that a family had had with a person that committed suicide. And this guy said on there that that's just the most selfish thing ever. And of course, I mean, from what you say, that's not helpful to say that, that the person who's thinking about suicide or whatever isn't. And to come to find out when I started having a discussion with this guy, he was a counselor uh, who counsels people and uh, their families through the situation. <laughs> and wow. I was like, wow, I'm glad I don't go to you. I, I mean, I know he probably doesn't say that to them, but maybe that shines through somehow some bit of shaming or something that's going on there. And yeah, it's, it's not a helpful thing to say. Again, it, it's suicide is, is, is the death from mental illness. That that's, that's how bipolar, schizophrenia, psychosis, major depression, that is what not surviving that illness looks like. 
could, could you imagine if, if somebody died from cancer and they're like, well, that's about the most selfish thing you can do. You know, he, he refused to eat for the last three weeks and he just, he just gagged the whole time and then he died. How selfish is that? Or a disease that's set on by your choices too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, the world is very, very complicated. And uh, I, I think that when we paint things with these quick brushes, oh, it's, it's selfish to, to commit suicide. Well, but what are the circumstances? You just really every single suicide, like every single one, do you even, people hear it and they're just like, well, that was selfish. Well, but was the person sick? What did the person ask for help? Like, I'm not trying to blame the people around suicide victims, but you know, often when you really dig into the meat, you're like, well, wait, they asked for help here. They asked for help here. They asked for help here. And you all ignored them. Isn't that mm -hmm. selfish? Now, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to blame anybody because chances are the reason they ignored them is because they didn't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It, so the, it doesn't do any good to find the blame. And, and that's really my big message. We're trying to blame the person who's dead. We're trying to blame the people around them. We're trying to blame the system. Why don't we just get rid of all of that and just try to fix it, try to educate people and move forward so that we can get this number down to as close to zero as humanly possible. It's becoming more our thought process, but it's not a hundred percent. There's still many, many people that strongly feel that suicide is a choice and a rational one and anybody who chooses it is a, a, a bad person. And that's, yeah. just, that's just strikingly awful. Yes. Anyway, tons of, I could say it. <laughs> I know, we could, we could do this all day and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's sad, but yeah. it's true. Well, you mentioned, you know, a while back in our conversation that, you know, people just thought you could get a medication and have that be over. But, you know, you realize that there's other facets, you know, to your, your situation that have to be worked on as well. Do you want to kind of, maybe I didn't clarify that very well, but do you want to tell us like what, I mean, it's just not all about medication, right? Like what are some right. other things? So, yeah. so yeah, you know, medication is, is very important. I, I'm not going to insult medication in, in, in any way. I, I love medication. I think medication, medication is why I am here today. But it's not the only reason that I'm here today. And I, I think that often people think that it's only medication. And I, I want to challenge people on that because it, it's a bit like saying, hey, I live in a house. Well, it's just a roof. Nobody would consider that a house. Yet when you're just on medication or if you are just med compliant, people are like, oh, you've done enough. I, I think that all of us want to live in houses that have walls and has, you know, heat and indoor plumbing and uh, electrical work and, you know, <laughs> probably a giant big screen TV on the wall. Uh, we, we expect more from our houses than just a quote roof over our head and yeah. unquote. And uh, so often I hear, well, if people were just med compliant, we wouldn't have this problem. Look, if all you needed to be was med compliant and you wouldn't have this problem, you just need one medication. Because after all, if you were taking that medication as prescribed, you would be well. It's already breaking down, right? One, you need to be med compliant, but two, you need to be med compliant on the right medications for you. And when I'm in a room, I ask people, how many people take a, a pain reliever for a headache? And all the hands go up because everybody <laughs> does it. I'm like, all right, leave your hands up if you take aspirin. You know, leave, leave your hands up if you take Advil. Leave your hands up if you take Tylenol. Leave your, and then we start to break it down even more. It's like, okay, the Tylenol people, how many people take extra strength Tylenol? How many people take two Tylenols? How many people take yeah. one Tylenol? So we have all of this variance in a headache. Mm -hmm. literally a headache. And yet society believes with every fiber of their being that all mentally ill people have to do is be med compliant and they'll all be fine. Yeah. I, or the world that I live in is people either believe like you got to either be on medicine or I'm with the holistic group that was always telling me like, you don't want to get on some mind control thing that, that you've got to be able to find a way to manage this through you know, fitness or through nutrition or through whatever. Do you feel like there needs to be a balance there? You know, once again, this is the danger of being a little bit right. And uh, the natural people aren't wrong, mm -hmm. except when they are. And uh, 
you know, diet and exercise matters to people with, I'm going to speak bipolar disorder because that's what I have. You know, diet and exercise is important to managing my bipolar disorder. Sleep hygiene is important to managing my bipolar disorder. There's lots of things that have nothing to do with medication that help manage the symptoms of bipolar disorder. And all of that stuff now falls under, you know, holistic medication. They are correct about all those things. But then they take it a step too far and they say, and if you do all these things, you don't need your medication. Yeah. Oh, come on. Now, if the other side said that, hey, are you on medication? You no longer need diet and exercise. You no longer need sleep. You no longer need work-life balance. Everybody would say, well, that's just, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. There's no magic medication that automatically handles all of these things for you. You need diet and exercise and sleep and work-life balance. But for some reason, when we say it the other way, people are like, oh, that makes sense. Look, it, it's an illness. It's a medical diagnosis that needs medical treatment. But again, so often we focus just on the medication that we're not focusing on whole health. We're not focusing on diet and exercise. We're not focusing on all of the things that we can do, which absolutely unequivocally will lessen our dependence mm -hmm. on medication. But the part where it makes medicine obsolete, that you don't need it, that doctors are full of it, and that it's all a scam and that yoga fixes schizophrenia. <laughs> No, you've gone too far. Yeah. And I, I wish that people wouldn't on both sides. Yeah. You know, I was doing all those things. In fact, when I finally went in and got the help, they're like, yeah, looking at your life, you know, if we were just to go by diet and exercise, it should be over. And that's what I keep thinking. Like I could, I can fix this with just, you know, diet, exercise, thinking positively, you know, doing all of that. And, and when I finally like, you know, I've tried this for decades and it hasn't worked. But that was, that was something holding me back because I had like a lot of, you know, my friends kind of like poo-pooing on the idea that any medication was horrible for you and you should never, you know, never look to that because it's all mind control or they don't look at it as like a disease, like, like if you're diabetic or something, you know, exactly. you would never, yeah. Exactly. And it, it's scary. I, and it, I, again, there there are some people that are in fact abusing medication and that concerns me too. I, I get letters all the time that, you know, somebody's like, hey, we had a death in the family and it was very traumatic. Somebody, you know, young, unexpected, we were very close and my family member fell into a deep depression and now they're on medication for their entire life. And I'm always very sad to read that because chances are the family member didn't fall into a deep depression. They fell into grief uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and grief has a completely different set of diagnostic criteria, it has a different treatment set. And the way that medication is handled or, or in, in many cases not handled is very, very different. So it, it's sad that somebody who probably does not need to be on medication, and I say probably because I don't, I don't know everything, yeah. but going, if it's, if it's just grief, you can get a lot farther with, with therapy and support groups and things like that. And you yeah. probably never need medication. Or if you do, you only need medication for a very short period of time. Yeah. And because that person was misdiagnosed with major depression, because they didn't take into account, you know, the traumatic death, because a person not getting help with trauma, you know, there, there's, a, you know, these deaths can be very traumatic. And I think that sometimes the, the people that are promoting all of these holistic remedies who are saying you don't need medication if you do the following holistic things, I think many times that's who they have pictured in their head. Yeah, I, I have pictured the person who thinks a dragon is chasing them. And I'm, I'm sorry, there's no diet, exercise, treadmill, or yoga that's going to make you stop visually hallucinating or, you know, hearing things. It, it's just, it doesn't work that way. And I think this is the danger of calling everything mental health and calling everything mental illness. I, cancers have different treatments. That, that's why we don't just call everything cancer. We have breast cancer, lung cancer, skin cancer, on and on and on, because they, there's different treatment protocols and different diagnostic protocols for all of these different cancers. Mm -hmm. Right now in mental health, we're just, we're just calling everything mental health, 100%. Yeah. And it's probably many of those people that were going through grieving that were put on medication that later realized, well, I probably didn't need that. I just needed these other things <laughs> to help me through that, that start poo-pooing on people like, and not really understanding like this is a whole different ballgame that, that we're dealing with than exactly. just, a little, just a little bit of grief 
for sure. Exactly. And that's what's really tough, right? And, and I think this is where a misunderstanding comes in because it can be very traumatizing to be put on the wrong medication. I, I don't care if it's mental health or physical health. I mean, if, if you go to your doctor because your leg hurts and your doctor gives you a diabetes medication, you're going to have some adverse effects. There's going to be really big problems. You're going you're gonna to suffer greatly because of that. But most people understand that that is a mistake that was made. That was an incorrect diagnosis. That was the incorrect medication. They don't say, oh man, physical health is BS. All medicine is, is, is wrong. I, I will never again see a doctor. But we do this in mental health all the time. That somebody gets the wrong diagnosis, has a bad outcome, gets the wrong medication, doesn't like what they hear or whatever. And they're like, oh, oh, psychiatry is BS. We must fight it. I'm anti-psychiatry now. It's like, you had a bad experience and you had a bad experience with specific people. Why are you blaming them all? Yes. But, yeah. uh, we, we see this a lot and the internet is vast. Definitely. <laughs> There's a lot of misinformation there. Well, let's move on to like the message. I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about your book first, like messages from your book and like maybe some of those disruptive thoughts that are in your book that people could find there. So I, I, I love my book and I, I am biased. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the first. Well, it's got a really cool title. <laughs> I, I, I yes, it does. I'm I am completely biased. It's called "Mental Illness as an Asshole" and other observations, and it's it's a series of articles that I wrote over a four year period. And and in my opinion, this is its genius because there's something in there for everybody. And when I say there's something in there for everybody, I mean there's something in there that you will love, and I guarantee that there's something in there that you will hate. And I think there's a lot of power in that because. It, you know, so often we tend to only read things that we agree with. We only read things from, mm -hmm. from, from our perspective. And, and because the book is observational and looking at things from different sides over a four-year period, engaging other people and, and uh, you know, me writing about conversations that I had or, or people who told me things. And, you know, there, there's nothing in there that's over like 800 words. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty easy read, especially since it's really just 800 words at a time about various topics, subjects, some personal, some factual, some lived experience, some just straight up like philosophical observations about living with mental illness. And I really think that it gives a nice concrete foundation to get to the next level. And the next level is probably a, a medical book. <laughs> uh, or something more medical, you know, about bipolar or depression or schizophrenia. I, I think this is a good, I, I think it disrupts the paradigm because I'm offering it as an educational tool, but telling people straight up that it's not a research paper. And that makes people uncomfortable because they're like, no, 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 no. If you want to learn about bipolar disorder, you've got to find a, a psychiatrist from Harvard who has a PhD and 20 years worth of research. And that's what you should rely on. Yeah. And I want to say two things. One, you should absolutely rely on that person. That person has done excellent work and I fully support their work. But you should also listen to what I have to say. And I think that if you, if you read us both, I think that you will have a better understanding of how to move forward, how to advocate for yourself, and how to understand what's going on. I hate this world that we live in where people think that you have to choose one. Yeah. You can choose two or five or a hundred. I once had pizza and French fries. I, <laughs> people are like, but those don't go together. I, I made them go together. Just do it. Just do it. It's okay. Yeah. Well, I was telling you before we even started recording that it's really frustrating for me to go to, and like I said, go to a psychologist and, you know, of course they have the medical background, but then I always heard like, but I really don't know what it's like. Sometimes I was like, well, how do you even know how to help me? <laughs> you know, if, right. you know and, and I, but I think that's the beauty of what you're talking about is like, yeah, let's get help, but let's also talk to people who have been through the struggle, you know, who knows what it's like. And, and that's what, yeah, you know, when you talk about stuff like that's on social media or stuff like that, it's just, it's like you, you really have no idea like this COVID-19. The thing I've been the most worried about is people's mental health because you can't keep people crammed up inside of their house and not, you know, have that affect them somehow. At least that's how 
I feel about it in, in a way, but people don't understand that. Like, and they think you're being like over dramatic or something like that. Does that make sense? Like, no, it absolutely does. You know, I've been, I've been saying ad nauseum and, and I don't think anybody's listening, but this is one of the most frustrating things that I can't get people to understand. And, and you're absolutely right. We're not taking mental health seriously. For example, in Ohio, we closed down mental health drop-in centers. We closed down clubhouses. We, we closed down care for people with mental health issues, but we left the dialysis centers opened. So there's this understanding in physical health that certain illnesses need certain care and you can't disrupt that. But over on the mental health side, we're like, oh, you have major depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. You've been going to this center every day to manage your health. You don't need to. We're closing that. Mm-hmm. But why? That is how I manage my illness. That is how I get help. That is how I stay alive. I can't get in to see my psychiatrist and therapist right now because they're all shut down. You literally just took my medical support team off the map. Yeah. And why? You did not do this for other illnesses. And it shows you unequivocally that society does not respect mental illness as a real health condition, or they wouldn't have shut down all our care. Or, or some of our care. And it's, it's frustrating because I keep sending people to the emergency room because all of the mental health clinics are closed. Well, and I think too, it, it, I mean, how do we know what's essential mental health for other people? Even if they kept those places open, like to say that a gym is non-essential, but for many of us, that's how we manage it. Or they shut down the swing set, <laughs> for instance. I find a lot of joy. I, I mean, it releases a lot of stress for me. That is not a non-essential thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but. It does. It absolutely may. I, I, I've been saying during all of this that all of my coping skills are now illegal. And <laughs> exactly. It's true. It is funny to say, but it, it's also factual. And uh, listen, I don't, I just keep thinking about Gabe Howard the day that he walked out of the psychiatric hospital. Could that Gabe or that Gabe a year later or that Gabe two years later have managed this with the resources that are left in the world? And I don't want to speculate, but I got to tell you, with everything that I have today in full recovery, Gabe is struggling. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how Gabe Howard two years after diagnosis would have done. I think about this a lot because those, those people are out there yeah, and definitely. I don't know that we care about them. And yeah. frankly, we don't care about them before the pandemic. So it's not really any big surprise. We don't care about them now. Yeah, I don't definitely. think anybody's saying that. I, I don't think so either. Wow. <laughs> high five to that for sure. A virtual high five. Well, I'd love to hear more about like your website and your speaking and stuff that you can find on your website. It looks somewhat like there's blog posts and of course you've got a podcast and different things like that. You know, tell us what you can find there. Yeah. If you go over to my website, gabehoward.com, you'll pretty much find everything that you want to know about Gabe. All of my podcasts are there. Uh, Obviously, you can also find them on your favorite podcast player, which is where most people subscribe. But I also put transcripts and things like that on gabehoward.com. You can buy my book over there and I'll sign it and I'll send you a whole bunch of free stickers. That's really (laughs) cool. I I write blogs over there from time to time. I put videos up from time to time. There's just a lot of really neat stuff and it's, it's all free. I, you know, I don't, I don't charge for the podcast. I don't charge for the videos. It's, it, 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 it's free. I do charge for the book. So I guess I should be <laughs> all free. Uh, all of the digital stuff is free. But the podcast is really cool. The, the first podcast is called uh, the Psych Central Podcast. Very educational show where I interview experts on the topic of mental health, mental illness, and psychology. And I make them speak in a language that my father can understand. And it's, it's not important. that my father is a, is a, is a, is, is a dumb man. He, he's not. He's just, he's not an expert in any of these things. And often the experts talk above our heads. So Exactly. Yeah. I wanted a show where we could learn from experts, but they taught it in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. And that's what I built. The other show is called Not Crazy. It's a lived experience show. It's, it's where I talk about like how it feels and the things that bother me and the things that I've learned and where I talk about, you know, seeing the Joker and 
did I feel that that was offensive to people with mental illness? Not offensive to people with mental illness. Did I think it was a, a poor representation? You know, how does mental illness play out in pop culture? And what's my opinion of that? And that show is called Not Crazy. Again, both of them are available on your favorite podcast player. And I am a speaker. You can uh, send me a whole bunch of money and I will show up and give your keynote or teach a presentation or I do both those podcasts live at your event. I think it's a lot of fun. I, I love to travel which I can't do right now because once again, <laughs> all the things that I love to do are illegal. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I hope to get back out there soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I finally had to ramp up talking to people on for my podcast. I'm like, I'm just going to get a hold of everybody I can. So yeah, I can. it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I love, uh, you gave me a referral and I noticed on there they had a, a quote or a saying and I'm just trying to remember it off the top of my head because I don't have it right in front of me, but that not everybody with mental instabilities or, or illness or whatever you want to call it with mental health issues is going to end up being a psychotic killer. And I think that that's also um, one of those paradigms that's played into it, you know, with all the school shootings or with anything that ends up happening, they always bring up that person's mental illness and and not that it doesn't contribute, but it's not necessarily like how all of us are. What's very frustrating about all this is you know, they, they, they want the narrative, so they, they make it in any way that they can. It's like, okay, well, we, we had a school shooting. All right, do they have a mental illness diagnosis? No. Um, okay, are they from a broken home? No. Do they have any sort of trauma? No. Have they ever been to a therapist? No. Have they ever sought mental health care? No. Are they on any uh, medications for mental health care? No. Did they ever see the school guidance counselor? Yes. All right. The headline needs to read, mentally ill man blows up school. What's your <laughs> yeah. proof of that? They saw their guidance counselor. I mean, that's a mental health professional right there. I mean, that's, that's all you need to know. Yeah. It's just the contributory factor to the majority of these shootings is not severe and persistent mental illness. Uh, it's trauma. It's anger. It's lacking access to care. Grief. Uh, and it, grief. And uh, just it, it's feeling like you don't belong in the world and nobody responding to that. Mm -hmm. And this has been studied and proven over and over again. But instead of uh, fixing that, everybody blames mental illness. And of course, what gets me so much is that the government knows they're full of it. Because if they honestly believed that this was a mental illness issue, they would start funding the mental health safety net to prevent this. The very fact that they keep cutting the mental health budget while blaming mental illness for mass violence shows that they know there's no connection. Or mm -hmm. they would be funding it just with so much money to prevent all of these deadly violent attacks, but they're, they're not willing to do anything about it. Yeah. And uh, the people that they're scapegoating and blaming, they're not even giving resources to. And exactly. that's, it, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's one area, like we've mentioned before, that is very, it's under understood and under appreciated and under, you know, there's just not the medical help uh, definitely that is needed there as well. Um, <laughs> you told me that I could ask you about hypersexuality and I'm just curious. I mean, I know this is maybe not even part <laughs> of what our conversation has been like that, but what do you have to say on that topic? Just I think that hypersexuality is one of those, it's one of those side effects that is very real and very damaging and very misunderstood. So often people will say, oh, I, I have hypersexuality and people are like, yeah, you do. Ha oh, ha. Oh, yeah, my boy does. <laughs> and, and it's like, no, this is, this is taking the joy away from something good and turning it into an illness. It's, it's hurting you. It hurts me. It takes away something that I like and turns it into an addiction, into a compulsion. And it's not good. And uh, I, I just want more people to know that. And I also think that, you know, if I went hypersexual tomorrow and I had an affair, my wife would leave me. And everybody listening is like, well, that's very reasonable. You cheated on her. But if I got sick tomorrow and lost all my hair and threw up and passed out and had to be 911 someplace, 
and I said, and my wife left me, they'll be like, oh my God, that's horrible. You got sick and she left you? That's terrible. And I'm like, okay, well, but I had this symptom and no compassion whatsoever. I had this symptom and nothing but compassion. Uh, and then of course the whole thing gets just so complicated by the fact that every time a celebrity gets caught cheating on their wives, oh, I have sex addiction. I have hypersexuality. No, you don't. So now people just, they don't believe it. They yeah. just, they're like, oh, well, this is a lie. This is another lie. And it, you know, you know, this is, this is very problematic. And then finally people have, people struggle with it. Right. I mean, let's say that you're 24 years old and you have hypersexuality and you want to tell your doctor that. Well, isn't hyper, <laughs> isn't hypersexuality like a symptom of bipolar disorder? Cause that's it actually, is, yeah. I mean, for a long time, a lot of my symptoms were pointing to bipolar because I can be like super excited and, and loving life and then just crash and stuff. But that was one of the things that they asked me. And I'm like, no, I, because I've, I guess I've made that commitment to my husband. So I, I wasn't off having an affair. So they were like, well, you can't be bipolar then because you haven't had any of the I, I want to touch on that a little. You, so in order okay. to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder, you don't need to have all of the symptoms. Okay. You just need to have like a certain number of them. So not being hypersexual does not mean that you don't have bipolar disorder. Now, if if they ask enough questions and you're like, no, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this, then, you know, then, then obviously eventually they're going to get to one and the, do you have this? No. Well, then you can't be bipolar. And they, maybe they meant like the whole string uh, yeah. versus just the the last one. It can be it can be difficult to understand this, especially in, you know, in, in a hospital environment, an emergency room environment, et cetera. Uh, but you know, hypersexuality can also manifest itself in other ways. It can be chronic masturbation, uh, okay. where, where you know, just again, not, not to be graphic, but you know, where you, you masturbate and then you start masturbating immediately again. Uh, and you just go on and on and on and on and on. And it just, it just never ends. Uh, it, it can also look like, you know, again, having the affair. It can also look like, you know, if you are lucky enough to have a partner that can keep up with you, uh, <laughs> maybe you want to have sex 12 times a day, but you just happen to be with a partner that can have sex 12 times a day. Um, I, I've heard this specifically. It's difficult maybe for men. Uh, women in general can can have sex more than men. So if their husband is hypersexual and they're game, uh, they're just like, hey, yeah, sure, I don't care. And that can kind of mask it. But it really is about the motivation behind the sexual act. Hypersexuality is when the motivation is compulsive, you have to do it, and you're really not getting any joy from it. You just have to. Uh, if you're okay. just having a lot of sex and you and your partner are enjoying it, hey man, more power to you, I respect you. That's the difference. People don't want to talk about it. People are afraid to talk about it. If you masturbated 10 times and in a day, you're probably not going to tell your doctor. Yeah, and, it might be and, embarrassing. Right. And that means your doctor can't write that down as a symptom. And that means you probably can't get care for it. And it's problematic because we don't want to discuss it, especially if you're young. Uh, especially for young women. It's even harder for young women. Let's say that you're a 21-year-old woman, you're on your parents' insurance, and your doctor is a 50-year-old man, and you have to walk in, and your mom drove you, and uh, yeah, you're not saying this, because you'll be labeled, you'll be- A pervert or something. Yeah, a, a, a slut, a whore. And it's just, it's uh -huh. so sad that we're doing this to people. So People don't get help that they need until sometimes it becomes the uh, the affair situation or worse. I mean, there, there, there's okay. no end to what people will do to fulfill a compulsion. Think drug addiction or alcohol addiction, except replace drugs and alcohol with sex. And it's it's frightening because sex is supposed to be good and enjoyable and pleasurable. And it just it just robs you of that. Okay. Well, and if you have hypersexuality, is that like a key to knowing like part of another diagnosis like we talked about like with bipolar because I've known people that have hypersexuality but then they don't recognize like that might be because you have another factor that might be driving that in you. Yeah, hypersexuality doesn't need to be just bipolar disorder. There's there's okay. there's other mental health diagnoses that that hypersexuality is a is a symptom of. So it's yeah, it's it's present in in other mental health issues. 
Um, including not for nothing, you can just be a hypersexual and that be the only symptom. Okay. Um, again, all these presentations look a little different and you're going to want to talk to a doctor and you're going to want to really get to the bottom of it because having a high sex drive is not the same as having hypersexuality. And I, I want people to understand that. I, I don't want anybody to say, oh, my boyfriend wants to have sex every day. He's hypersexual. No, that, that can be well within the, the, the normal ebb and flow of, okay. of the human condition. So uh, please don't pretend that we're all doctors. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've seen that. I mean, if you grow up in a very religious area, I may have heard that from other women. They think that their husband's a pervert because he wants to have that relationship all the time. But I live in a highly religious area too. So it helps spawn that on like that that's an evil thing and that you shouldn't, you know, even, which is crazy because even if you're you know, in a situation where nobody's getting hurt or there's not abuse or something like that. It shouldn't, shouldn't be labeled as that, but it, it seems to go kind of hand in hand maybe with yeah. the, anyway. And it really does. There, there, there's so much, I, we can really boil this down to, as you said, there's so much misinformation and people aren't getting good information because they're afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And that goes with everything that we've discussed. I mean, you know, mental illness, how, how you may be feeling, what you're saying to yourself all the time. You know, those are things that we just don't talk about as a society. And the less we talk about them, the more we just have people who, like you said, you know, you continue to get sick. And that's kind of what happened to me. You just, when you don't talk about it, it just you just get sicker and sicker. Does that yeah. make sense? It just so. gets worse. Yeah. Yes. If, if you have any illness, I, I don't care mm -hmm. what the illness is. And yeah, you, you could have cancer. It, yeah. yeah. If you ignore an illness, it doesn't magically improve. <laughs> uh, we, we, need to, we need to accept and recognize that. And, and I don't think that we do. That's great. Do you feel like there's a habit in your personal life that you feel that helps you with better learning and understanding with your, you know, mental illness in, or mental health? I'm going to say mental health because I, I really like Dr. Amen's kind of pushing that. Let's don't talk about it as mental illness, but what we need to do to have, you know, healthy brains. And, because that, that really is true in so many, like people aren't mentally ill, that they have one position or, or whatever that they have to, to work on, just like somebody with, you know, diabetes or something. Do you agree with that? Have you ever heard Dr. Amons? I, I, Amons? I have not heard. Um, I, I've not, I've not heard from that particular doctor. I, I have heard this before. And I, I have to say, I, I, I do think that it is preventing people from getting care because mm -hmm. after all, if, if there's no such thing as mental illness, well, then why are all these people homeless or need to be in psychiatric hospitals or having, you know, the, the squad called on them after all, it's just a mental health issue. It's just personality quirk. Uh, so I think we have to be careful. Okay. I think we have to be really careful the, the way that we talk. Now, that said, I think, once again, there, there's an upside to this. Everybody has mental health. Everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. Every single person on the planet has mental health. Now, most of the time, then you have happy mental health. No, that's not what they mean. Y yeah, that, that is what they mean. You just don't understand it. So mental illness is a very specific thing. Uh, just like, you know, we all have physical health. Most of us have good physical health. Some of us are, are physically sick for a day. Some of us get the flu for a week. And some of us have long-term illnesses. Uh, so I wouldn't want to remove mental illness from the conversation, but I would like it to be in its proper place. Yeah, And I, I'd like to see like that discussion. Uh, let's stop calling everything mental illness and just leave that to the severe and persistent population, you know, people with the, the, the bipolar disorder. And then let's call other things, you know, mental health issues or a mental health crisis mm -hmm. um, because they fit in better there. And, and again, I, I can't, you know, please don't call me up and saying, are you saying that anxiety is not mental illness? I, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just saying, I think a deeper understanding and discussion needs to be had, but I would challenge that sometimes removing the seriousness of words makes people think that something is no longer serious. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. Well, and to get into those habits, I think all of us for better mental health, there are certain things that almost every person should be doing to maintain that mental health. Do you have one of those that, you know, you feel like has been a really great habit to kind of help you keep focused on better mental health or better learning about mental health? Yeah. You know, that's, I, I'm very fond of saying, everybody asks me like, what's the one thing that you do? The one thing that you do? And I always answer it this way. There isn't one big thing that I do. 
I manage my mental health by doing a lot of little things correctly. Mm -hmm. And some of them are very, you know, basic. Like I take my pills as prescribed, right? That, that's not, that's not exciting. Uh, but I also, you know, I practice sleep hygiene. I, I go to bed and get up at the same time every day. I, I only use my, my bedroom for sleep and sex so that I, I get better sleep. I have a white noise machine. I, I try not to stay up, you know, all night. I, I try to remember that this too shall pass. And if I have several bad days, I, I keep a, a mood journal so that I can track them so that I can get that to my, my psychiatrist. I go to therapy when I need to. I just, I really honestly try to keep an open mind that anything that anybody says I could either love, hate, or disagree with, or like, and that's okay. I see so many people fighting about things mm -hmm. in the mental health space, and I think, you know, that person is using scented candles, and they're saying it makes them feel better. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we spend so much time figuring out what we don't have in common that we're not spending time figuring out what we do have in common. And we have so much in common. And we could really be supporting each other and helping each other in much more meaningful ways if we weren't finding that one thing that we disagree about and then fighting about it. <laughs> That's Definitely. what I try to keep in mind. Because listen, I, I, I disagree with people all the time. I do. I'm just polite about it. <laughs> I, I just let it go and we work together on the stuff that we agree with. And that's why I, I think that I've made it so far in advocacy because I, I get along with a lot of people because we work together on the things that we both agree on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I stay out of their way and, and they stay out of mine when we have a disagreement because sometimes it's not clear who is right and who is wrong. I believe that I'm right, but they believe that they're right. And unless it's something like serious, like they're telling people to drink bleach, I, I don't need to get in their way. Or hand sanitizer. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't drink hand sanitizer. I mean, obviously, if, if somebody has, you know, there, there is a limit to that, obviously, but 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 so often it's it's just it's such nonsense. Yeah. I don't want to be called patient. I want to be called consumer. I don't want to be called consumer. I want to be called a peer. I don't want to be called a peer. I want to be called an advocate. And I'm over here like I want money for treatment. <laughs> for help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yeah, so so who cares? Yeah. I, I don't mean it quite so dismissively, but I, I really wish people would have more understanding that we have so much in common. Why are we fighting? Well, and I love kind of at the beginning, you talked about when I was calling you an expert. Um, I think that when we start looking at ourselves as experts, we stop learning from other people. We think that we have all of the answers when, when there's so much that we can still learn maybe about a subject if we just open our ears and, and listen, you know, and not think, well, I have all the right answers and I'm the expert. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I, I am fascinated by the number of people who are arguing over opinions. Well, I believe that toast is better. Well, I believe a bagel is better. Well, you're wrong. I, you're kidding me. That's I, what social media is for, right? Exactly. And I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm so frustrated because I'm like, wow, you two have so much in common. You both get up at the same time. You both toast a bread product and you both eat it for breakfast. Like you two should be friends, but you're just so hung up on this nonsense. And that's what it is. It's nonsense. Yeah. Uh, every place that sells helping. toast also sells bagels. Just be friends. <laughs> be friends. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear like what you see for the future. Like what are your long-term goals and how are you working that into like the legacy that you hope to leave behind? <laughs> I, you know, my long-term goals are to, can, to keep doing what I'm doing. Obviously, I, I want my podcast to grow. I, I want to speak to more people. I, I want to build a bigger community. I, I want to get my ideas out there. You know, I, I love it. I love it. I love it when when people listen to my podcasts and 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 read my book because that 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 is my legacy, right? These these are the things that I believe in the moment. These are the things that that I have learned from talking to experts, from from talking to the people who are living through it, from living through it myself. And and I feel that that conversation is vital. And mm -hmm. when I say that conversation is vital, I, I'm not offering up my podcast as definitive facts. I'm not offering up this interview as a definitive. Fact. <laughs> I'm just trying to get these things into the public consciousness so that people can discuss them and find what's right for you. I think that a lot of us need different things. And I hope that my legacy is that I create more conversations and I create more people willing to have the conversations. Mm -hmm. 
I, I hope that some part of what I have done has helped pave the way for others. Um, now, I hope that I get hired before them, but I hope <laughs> there are, no, sincerely, I, I, I do, I just want this not to be a problem anymore. It, it'll be the happiest day of my life when I am no longer needed uh, in this space. When they're like, hey, we don't have this problem anymore. Mental health is perfectly understood. Mental illness is, is perfectly understood. It's perfectly funded. Everybody gets all the help that they need. We no longer need training because everybody understands. Gabe, you did it. It's over. Oh, well, all right. Uh, I, I, I do think that I would be overjoyed. I'd have to find something else to do, but I would be pleased with that. But sadly, I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. Just like, like I said, I mean, I was floored to see that post on Facebook. <laughs> and so I, I still think there's a conversation to be had that you're trying to promote and really respect your work for sure. Do you have any parting advice for our listeners and then give us your contact information, how we can find, you know, and connect with you? Yeah, the, the biggest uh, parting advice that I have is, is be honest with yourself, be honest with others, but always be respectful. Keep an open mind. When I say keep an open mind, I, I don't mean become a sucker or become a fool. Uh, what's that quote? Don't, don't be so open-minded, your brain falls out. But I, I think that we can all admit that in, in some spaces, in some places, especially things that are deeply personal, we get defensive and we get upset and we don't like it. I have learned more from people who disagree with me than I ever have from people who agreed with me. That's and true. I want that for everybody. Uh, but, but be respectful about it and expect them to be respectful too. You know, set up good boundaries. That's, that's probably the parting words that I have because you, you can really learn a lot that way. And as far as how to find me, you can find me at GabeHoward.com. You can also email me at Gabe at GabeHoward.com. I would be happy to answer uh, as many emails as I can. Uh, please just be patient because I get a lot of them. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, we've been talking with Gabe Howard. Uh, if you go to his website, you'll find that he's a, a nice looking ginger. So <laughs> that's a, I have a soft spot in my, my heart for gingers. But uh, to find out more about his book that we've been talking about as well, speaking engagements and his podcast, his website is GabeHoward.com. But thank you so much, Gabe, for coming on and actually having these conversations that are pretty real and raw for all of us, but very necessary. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate your listeners for listening. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.